Will they find a home? Sponsored by Geico. Jane doesn't mind an apartment with no elevator. Five flights of stairs is five flights of cardio. Bob is a little less enthusiastic about stairs. I hate stairs. Compromise is tough, but these two won't have to compromise when they bundle renters and car insurance with Geico. It's easy, and they could save even more. In the end, Jane and Bob found an apartment that's a four-story walk-up. And Bob? Yeah, there's a freight elevator she doesn't know about. What were you talking about? Oh, uh, nothing. Bundling without compromise at Geico.com. From the basement of the Bob and Tom Studios, it's that Josh Arnold podcast. Oh, hello. How the heck are you? My goodness, here we are, the first full week of 2021. Exciting times, my friends. Ah, been back at work. Well, back down here in the basement for the podcast, though. I see they, well, they returned the decorations to their boxes and stacked up all over the place sort of haphazardly. My goodness. But, hey, that's what happens after the holidays, huh? You pack up all the decorations, put them away. I know I did that over the weekend. Not, not, uh, I never want to do it because I'm always like, oh, man, all right, well, the season's over. Time to get back to... Plain old, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's now we just have the winter, don't we? Just like, oh, all right. No, uh, I mean, the cold weather's fine when you've got Christmas and New Year's and all these uh, fun things going on, but now it's just, well, now it's just cold. So, <laughs> but that's all right. Things are hot here in the basement. Uh, uh, why? Because, uh, <laughs> Well, it's not only warm from all the ham-handed segues, it's also <laughs> it's also hot because of our guest today. My goodness, one of my favorite people on the planet. Well, it's you. That's right. You, my guest this week and uh I certainly appreciate you being here and and it is uh yeah, it's uh, coming down from the holiday high as it were and just kind of getting back. I mean, I mean, it it feels good because uh, it is a new year, and it, it, as I said last week, it kind of kind of feels like a clean slate. Maybe get some things. Uh, you know, you've got goals in mind, and you've got uh, other things happening. And uh, well, you know what? I appreciate uh, all of you uh, for uh, joining me uh, in 2021 so far, and for all your company in 2020. And uh, I also appreciate this week's sponsor. Boy, oh boy, this is a this is a good one. Uh, sponsoring the podcast this week, Fire. Yes, yeah, isn't Fire uh, good? Important? A necessity in many cases. Uh, well, Fire gives us a lot, doesn't it? Heat. You know, heat provides us with comfort, and uh, uh, we can cook with it. Uh, <laughs> can also uh, it also gives us light, doesn't it? You know, it's dark out. You light a fire, you can see for for a uh, certain distance. <laughs> it's also cool to watch. You know, you kind of just stare at stare at a fire, watch those flames dance, and uh, yeah, different colors in there, don't you? You got orange and red and white and uh, blue sometimes, and uh, that's neat. It's also good at destroying evidence. Fire. You need to get rid of something. You don't want anybody to. To see it or find it, you, well, boy, you set that thing on fire, and it's probably <laughs> probably going to disappear. So thank you, Fire, for sponsoring that Josh Arnold podcast this week. Boy, if you uh, if you get a kick out of that, you are, you're one of my people. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, and speaking of uh, you being one of my people, why don't you come with me on a little journey here? We're going to hop on this train and head off to Vocabulary Station. Ah, oh, isn't that a good sound, man? Oh, man, we're just uh, riding the rails on into the the happy place that is Vocabulary Station, and we have a good one this week. Boy, this is uh, this is quite a word. Let's see, how many uh, syllables are we dealing with here? One, two, three, four, five, six, it looks to be. Six syllables. That's a big word, huh? The word this week is an adjective 
and it's sesquipedalian. That's right, sesquipedalian. Not a a pretty word necessarily, but certainly an interesting one, sesquipedalian. I'll spell it out for you in case you're, uh, you know, writing these things down. S-E-S-Q-U-I-P-E-D-A-L-I-A-N, sesquipedalian. And what I love about this word is uh, that its definition, it's sort of, def- well, here, let me let me just tell you what it means. It means given to or characterized by the use of big, complex words and arcane jargon. So big words, fancy words that are also sort of obsolete, or at least, uh, at the very least, old and my goodness if that doesn't describe the the word itself sesquispedalian is well a sesquispedalian word isn't it how strange that the word itself um <laughs> i mean that that's what really the only time you would use sesquispedalian <laughs> Like, if you ever use that word, you're being sesquipedalian. That's fascinating. Boy, use it this week, won't you? If somebody uh, is trying to be lofty with their language or uh, maybe they're using sort of an old-timey phrase, just go, don't be so sesquipedalian. Or maybe the opposite, actually. Maybe the opposite is better. Um, Congratulate them on being so sesquipedalian. I like it. I like it. I'm going to try to – I'm going to throw it around. That's for sure. I do enjoy it. Speaking of enjoying things, I'd like to tell you what I enjoyed this week. Oh, what do we have here? A little. <laughs> I laugh every time. I don't think I'm ever not going to laugh when it kicks in. What do you think this is? Like a three piece band? We've got organ, we've got drums. There's, there's a bass for sure. I guess that's it. I don't, that organ is weird sounding, isn't it? It's almost... All right. Let's not dissect it so much. It's uh, Let's just enjoy it. <laughs> it's wonderful. You know what? I think it would be fun. Uh, I think this is going to be something new. I, I just thought of this. What the title of that song is. Now, my producer, Jason, may very well know. I don't want to know. And uh, I think each week we're going to give that song a different title. Um, uh, this week, uh, well, right now we're listening to the song Skedaddle. Doesn't that sound like a good title for that song? Skedaddle? I think. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. So uh, thank you. Boy, I love that song, Skedaddle. And uh, anyway, what I enjoyed this week, it's another movie. I feel bad. I, I try to uh, shake it up a little bit. But I have to talk about this movie. It's been on my mind since I watched it, um, oh boy, four days ago maybe. And uh, I had seen it before and I had not, but I had not seen this cut. So there's a a different version um, that I think is superior. So the movie is Touch of Evil. It's uh, an Orson Welles classic. I'm sure many of you have seen it, and if you haven't seen it, you've... You're aware of it. Uh, came out in 58. And like a lot of Orson Welles projects, um, you know, he made the movie he wanted to make. And then the studio got a hold of it. And the producers made some cuts that he didn't care for and some some decisions and edits and, and things that he uh, weren't in his original vision. Well, that movie, the 1958 version, a hell of a movie. It's a, it's a, it's a really good movie. But... In 1998, some folks found uh, these notes, and they they found uh, sort of the blueprint for Orson Welles' original plan and uh, edits and things, and they went ahead and reworked it. They re-edited it to, to fit uh, as closely as they could his original vision, and that version of Touch of Evil I had never seen, and I find, I watched it a little a couple days ago, and it is... Just stellar, and it, it's it's I have to uh, it's in my top five movies of all time. In terms of 
I kind of I kind of have a, a couple different categories for for or a few different categories for for movies. I have my favorite movies, and then I have the best movies I've ever seen. That kind of thing, and sometimes they overlap. Goodfellas would be one of those and stuff like. But Touch of Evil uh, is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Technically, it's astounding. Um, the acting is is just terrific. It, it stars. Uh, Orson Welles and Charlton Heston and Janet Lee and Dennis Weaver in this insane role. Now, it is a bit problematic. Charlton Heston plays a Mexican man in this movie, and he's in brownface. And even though it's in black and white, you can clearly tell that he's what what would be called brownface. And so uh, there there are plenty uh, in the cancel culture that I'm sure would like to see this movie disappear. That said, for as, um, well, the idea of Brown's face itself is, is pretty insulting, but but that is not, um, the character certainly isn't insulting. He's the hero and a smart, very intelligent. I mean, it's, uh, it's just unfortunate that uh, Orson Welles decided to, to, to uh, you know, put him in Brown face. And even, quite honestly, um, I wouldn't say it's uh, it was in bad taste to have this character be Mexican, but nowadays we would have a terrific Mexican actor play that role. But what happened here is Charlton Heston was hired, and Orson Welles decided to change the character from like an L.A. Um, district attorney to a Mexican district attorney to play with this idea of of uh, borders and uh, cultural differences and things. So his heart was definitely in the right place. It's just by today's standards, uh, it, it it's it's problematic. That doesn't mean you shouldn't watch it. This movie should not be. Um, I, look, I'll be honest. I'm fairly anti cancel culture anyway. And that's a very that's a long discussion that could be had, but uh, but there's no reason that this movie should disappear because of that that choice. I read that Charleston Heston <laughs> regrets not having used a Mexican accent in the movie because he just talks like himself. I th- <laughs> I, I think Charlton uh, uh, that would have been a, I think that that would have only added <laughs> to, to, to the now present day awkwardness of that, um, but. Anyway, you know what? I have to guess, too, that in 1958, the producers went, we can't just use some uh, Mexican actor. We have to use somebody who's a bankable uh, American celebrity. And, um, you know, the decision-making back then was just was just different. And I'm not excusing it, but there are reasons behind it. And we have to, look, we have to remember that we just weren't as uh, conscious of these things. But look, Touch of Evil is 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 a terrific movie. A murder takes place right on the Mexican-American border, and some uh, American police and Mexican authorities they get together to try to solve this murder, and it is just wonderful noir. Um, everybody's awesome in it. You get to look. look uh, she's a terrific actress, but she's also gorgeous. Uh, Janet Lee. I mean, that's. Man, oh man. And uh, some terrific cameos in it. I think you're really going to like it if you like a good detective, cop, gritty movie. And if you are just if you just like movies in general, watch this. See what Orson Welles does with his camera. And uh, it, it is. It's top notch. Touch of evil. Check it out. This week I uh, thought, you know, I'd visit the... Emails that have been coming in, and maybe answer a few of your questions. Uh, a lot of them tend to deal with uh, comedy and uh, you know what I do for a living and things like that. And um, it's just, it's always interesting to me that people are so fascinated by um, kind of being a comedian and things like that. But uh, there's some pretty good questions. And uh, I, I guess it's like anything else. It, when somebody asks you about your job, you might go, "What? Why are you so interested in this? This is just what I do." Um, but I'm the same way. If I found out, if I find out that somebody's uh, 
you know, a, a sewage plant worker or a uh, an architect or whatever. I'm <laughs> I am always fascinated in uh, what it is they do. So I totally get it, and I appreciate these questions. The first one comes from Heather, and uh, this is a big question. She says uh, it's well documented that a lot of comedians are pretty dark and suffer with things like uh, depression, and many use humor to compensate for these feelings. She says that I, uh, me, Josh, uh, always seem incredibly upbeat and jovial. Um, is that really how I am? Or is it a character? Uh, well, uh, uh, you're right. A lot of comedians uh, are pretty dark and do suffer from uh, a fair amount of you know, mental... Um, Issues. I'm no exception. I can be very dark. And yes, I've uh, had my um, bouts with depression and I, I've, I've let it uh, known, you know, I've let it, I've, I've filled you guys all in on an earlier uh, podcast about my anxiety disorder. I have panic disorder and uh, it's something I don't mind discussing because I think it needs to be discussed. I think it's important for people to uh, hear about it and to understand it better. Um, so, uh, I know there are some folks who have issues like that that don't like to talk about it, and that's completely fine. I just like to, I do like to talk about it to try to help people better understand, uh, you know, what it is and, and things like that. Using humor to compensate for depression or darker feelings, I think, is something that some comedians do. Um, they certainly, you know, when you get up there and you, uh, you use dark humor either on stage or just maybe with your friends. It is sort of like exercising some demons. Um, I'm not a big fan of using comedy as therapy, meaning I don't think uh, a comedian should treat an audience like a psychiatrist um, or like somebody who um, should listen and tolerate their grievances. <laughs> I think the idea is to, um, I think the best comedians, uh, when they are talking about themselves on stage, are on, are talking about all of us in a way. You know, they're being as universal and relatable as possible. That's what's funny. Now, sometimes it is funny to hear about somebody's issues because they put a, a comedic spin on them. Um, or uh, it's funny to hear about things that are completely unrelatable to you. Like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that crazy thing happened to them. Or I can't believe that crazy philosophy that they have. That that obviously can uh, generate some great comedy as well. But it's kind of a well-known thing that comedy stems from pain. The best comedy, um, it could be argued, comes from pain. And I would say that my sense of humor developed uh, from a few different in a few different ways and, and for a few different reasons. But I think one of them, I, I think I'd be lying if I said it didn't stem from uh, a defense mechanism to sort of be liked. I wasn't good. You know, at a young age, I, I knew that I wasn't good at sports. Um, I was a, a chubby kid. So I probably allowed my sense of humor, and I, 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 I'm sure I developed it as sort of a... Um, uh, because I wanted people to like me, and it's you know what I mean. I wanted to have something that people could uh, go. Oh, you know what? He's he's uh, he's he's funny. Like a positive thing for people to uh, cling on to, as opposed to some of my insecurities, the things that I was embarrassed by, or um, uh, you know, unconfident in, like my athletic abilities and and stuff like that. Things that are important in. <laughs> in school that maybe aren't so important later. Um, I never had good clothes in school. I never had, uh, I, I, you know, I wasn't particularly fashionable. All my hairstyles were uh, always like six months too late. You know, <laughs> I was thinking the other day about how, when I was a kid, a couple of my brothers and I got rat tails <laughs> and how gross that was. First off, my mom, four boys in my family, uh, you know, if she were to take us to get our haircuts, it would have been uh, money that that uh, they didn't really ha my parents didn't really have, and so my mom cut her hair for uh, my gosh, 
years. I mean, most of my childhood. And so we asked her, hey, mom, uh, leave a rat. <laughs> and God bless her, she did it. And I always love little kids with uh, awful haircuts. Uh, like, you'll see like a, a five-year-old with a mohawk. And I'm not saying that all mohawks are awful. Don't get me wrong. But I uh, I guess I, I always love little kids with bold haircuts because you know that they it was you know that that's what they wanted and they didn't care they weren't concerned with what people thought in fact they were probably convinced in their heads because i know i was when i was a kid that everybody's gonna think it's awesome <laughs> like you've we've all seen the uh you know the six-year-old with a mullet that kid thinks that that thing is really cool and uh i love that i love it um so anyway, we thought that having rat tails would be really cool. And uh, looking back, it was just so gross and dirtbaggy. And uh, <laughs> I remember my grandparents hating them. And But, my, you know, uh, my dad hated it. But my mom, uh, she did it. She let us have them. And uh, we got to... <laughs> Ugh, pretty gross. But uh, anyway, uh, that just what I'm saying is I wasn't a cool kid. But I think I was a likable kid, and I was funny, and so people kind of liked, uh, did, you know, at the very least, they didn't mind having me around. And yes, that uh, that part of uh, my sense of humor development stemmed from a lot of dark places. Um, so in regards to whether or not I'm as happy or upbeat as I may seem on the morning show, or on this podcast, the answer is yes and no. Um, I certainly like to accentuate the positive, as Bing Crosby once sang about. I enjoy uh, sp- spreading joy. And uh, that said, I also really get a kick out of <laughs> being inappropriate and being dark and being surly and arguing uh, for comedic effect. I... I um, uh, Yes, yeah, I, I I like to count my blessings, and I also like to spit on them. <laughs> and uh, I, I I think I, I guess what I'm, I guess I find all of that to be very fun and funny. Uh, happiness can be is so fun and funny, and so is misery. It's I I, I enjoy all of it. What I play up the most um, on the morning show would not be my happiness. It would be my uh unhappiness i uh if i uh, get really upset about something on the air chances are i'm and i hope i'm not bumming you out by giving you, you some of you uh, too much of a peek behind the curtain if you don't want to know that certain things are played up i apologize but it's it, this is the truth if i'm really really angry about something on air chances are i'm not that angry about it i i just i'm trying to get a reaction from everybody else or there's something in me that thinks it's really funny to be so mad about something so petty. Um, so, uh, you know, I got a really interesting email, um, and I, unfortunately I lost it. So I apologize if you're listening, sir, but you you wrote in and you asked why. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm already laughing about this. Uh, why Chick and I <laughs> will... Uh, why we think it's so funny <laughs> to laugh about and make jokes about animal cruelty. <laughs> and uh, boy, I this the fact that I'm laughing so hard at this just sounds so monstrous. But you raise a good point. You said it really bums you out and that there's, you know, in fact, you went so far as to say when we make jokes and laugh about uh, human misfortune, you're oddly enough okay with it, but when it comes to anything <laughs> to do with animals, <laughs> you get really bummed out. I totally get it, and I totally understand. Uh, and you asked, hey, what the hell's that about? <laughs> well, let me start by telling you uh, everyone that I work with, they are the biggest animal lovers I've ever met. I, I don't know. I, I mean... They they love their pets. They advocate for animal uh, rights and uh, in, in all kinds of ways, and even give to uh, I think 
I mean, we've all given uh, given to certain uh, animal charities or done charitable things for such charity. I mean, we love animals. Of course we do. And that's part of the reason that Chick and I think it's so funny to joke about it because in our minds we're going, who would be so <laughs> cruel and evil to think that any of this is funny? Um, that's That's a lot of the joke to us. The problem is... How strong of a reason is that to to say terrible things? You know, you know what I mean. Um, it's not a false excuse that we're hiding behind. It isn't. But I I get why it might come off that way to go. Well, it's so funny because it's not funny. Ah, that argument. That's that's not a that's not a completely solid argument. But I mean, I'm sincere when I say that that is one of the reasons we think it's so funny to go to, to try to get in that mindset of who who would ever say this. And we're also a lot of times just trying to upset Tom <laughs> and or Christy by saying something insane by uh, and Willie being an addition on the morning show now is a lot of fun to try to rile up because he's a wonderful guy who's uh, sensitive and he's. Um, you know, to, to use sort of the, the modern parlance, woke, he's very socially aware and he's very uh, caring and he's he, the, the, the last thing that he would ever want to do is uh, hurt somebody's feelings. And he's he's wonderfully aware of that stuff. So it's fun to try to get a rise out of him, too, by being an idiot. So uh, an answer to answer that question, we're essentially just being idiots. Uh, on purpose um, to uh, be funny. Please forgive us. I, I I would hate to think that whenever we joke about uh, something happening to animals uh, or anything like that, that you um, uh, would ever think that we meant it. Uh, we 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 do not at all. But I also get that you you may not know us as well as we think you do, and so. Um, I'm just telling you now. <laughs> the reason we're joking about it is because we're morons and we're uh, we're trying to make each other laugh and trying to upset the people we work with. So, uh, <laughs> nothing more than that. Uh, so, if you hear us, you know, doing that, please don't change the the channel. We're just uh, just excuse us for the uh, smart asses that, that we are. <laughs> Chick and I have made each other laugh really hard by saying terrible, terrible things. <laughs> and as a lot of you know, he and I are insanely sensitive as well. And I think that's, yes, that going back to Heather's point, it's um, compensation and a defense mechanism and all that. Uh, we're, uh, we're messed up. We're, me- <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not entirely healthy people. <laughs> uh, but anyway. I think most of you know that, and uh, uh, again, just try not to be offended by any of it. Where um, uh, I believe being offended is a choice. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Uh, just dismiss it. You don't have to be. Don't take offense. We're not attacking you or your philosophies or anything like that. Uh, just uh, just write it off for the uh, nonsense that it is, and and think no more about it. So, but that is a fair question and a good question. Uh, whoever, I, again, I apologize for not remembering who, or for losing the email, quite frankly. And also a great question there, Heather. I hope I, I answered it. In terms of uh, what what my secret is for staying positive, I just try to um, count my blessings. I just try to think about the things that make me happy. It does take some practice. If if uh, you know you you gotta you do you can. It's easy to get worn down in this world, and you gotta kind of go all right. What's good, and just really think about what's good, and um, and you'll find. I think you'll find yourself uh, feel, you know, feeling pretty happy. Uh, next up, Brian would like to know. Says, did you ever suffer stage fright in your career? And he tells a story that's um, probably fairly common. He had to give a father of the bride speech, and it was. Uh, he said he was a basket case the entire ceremony. He was just dreading it. Said it's a problem for him. It's not just a problem for you, uh, Brian. Uh, isn't 
public speaking, the number one fear um, uh, of people whenever they're like polled. And number two is death. I, I think that's always kind of the joke. It's like more people are afraid of uh, having to talk in front of uh, other people than they are of dying. But I guess there's a, a lot of truth to that. Uh, of course, I've suffered stage fright. Um, the first time I ever did stand up semi-professionally where I, I was in an actual comedy club at an open mic, I don't know that I've ever been more nervous. I, I was, I couldn't stand it. I was so nervous. Uh, but um, I, I got up there and did it. And Brian, you go on to say that after your speech, you went, man, I wonder why I was so worried. It went great and everything's fine. That That's a great feeling, isn't it? When you go up and uh, no matter if you're at work and you have to lead a meeting or you're uh, giving a speech at a wedding or an anniversary party or something, or you are doing something like like trying comedy or maybe going to a poetry slam and reading something. Uh, like You know, it's always nerve-wracking when you um, let yourself be vulnerable. And uh, But when it works, when everything goes okay, and if you have the ability to laugh at yourself uh, when it doesn't go well, oh, you're set. You don't you don't have anything to worry about. It's what I, I still get nervous when I go in front of an audience. And the day that I the, the day I, I'm not nervous, I um I don't ever want to not be nervous. I I like that that uh, edge that um, being nervous gives me. Um, now that's not to say I'm uncomfortable or scared to be on stage. I just, uh, there's a difference, uh, being nervous and being afraid, particularly when I, I think particularly when you're doing something like stand up comedy, there is a difference. I'm, I'm in control when I'm on stage. Um, so my nerves aren't getting the best of me, but they do provide me with this sort of electricity. A little bit of uh, um, nerves, I think, are necessary for me to perform well. It's, you know, it, it, there's something's flowing, something's buzzing inside me, and and I think it affect. I think it affects my stage persona and uh, performance positively. So, um, yes, I I have had stage. It's obviously gotten less um, than when I first started. It's gotten more toned down, but it's still there, and uh, I want it to be. I like it. Brandon, uh, boy, good guy. He asks, what kind of venues do you prefer to perform in? That's a great question because uh, I'm now in a position where I get to perform in large theaters for, uh, you know, over a 1,000 people, uh, and, but I also get to go to comedy clubs where I uh, they're very intimate and small, and I get to perform for you know, 50 people. And um, I like both a lot. They're both very different. If I had to say, if I have to choose one uh, that I prefer, it's the smaller venues. I really like being in a uh, smaller comedy club with a uh, a stage that's just one step up. Uh, insert a fat joke here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's also close to the crowd. And uh, with low ceilings and dim lighting and, uh, I, yeah, being intimate, it's, it's, there's really nothing like it. Um, uh, being able to kind of look out and uh, see people's faces, see um, how they're responding, uh, you know, who, who I'm talking to. And uh, they can see me. They can see subtle moves that don't read as well in a big theater. Uh, little facial tics or expressions or slight hand movements. Um, I, uh, that add to, uh, uh, the performance and, um, yes, I, I just really like that intimate feel. You can, I can hear myself. I can hear the audience. Well, uh, but boy, performing in front of a, a, a large theater or auditorium where there are thousands of people, um, it's a thrill. It's exhilarating. I mean, when you tell a joke and it works and you get that, you're hit 
with that wave of laughter where you go, my gosh, I I said something that resonated with hundreds and hundreds of people. That's pretty thrilling. It is. Um, it, it, you get more of the sound, obviously, than you do the sight. A lot of people I don't think are aware that um, when you're on stage doing something, you, you'd be lucky if you can see the front row. The, the lights are so bright that um, you can't see anyone. <laughs> you're, you're kind of just looking out at a blank, uh, just a black sea. And um, that's one of the reasons I prefer the, the smaller venue is I like to be able to see the facial expressions. Because what I would do, I, I made mistakes uh, starting out as a comedian. I based my uh, performance, how I was doing, solely on how hard people were laughing, and that's not always an accurate barometer. Uh, if they're Look, if, if people are laughing hard consistently, you're doing well. But just if they're not, that doesn't mean they're not having a good time. And so the mistake that I would make is if I wasn't getting la- the laughs that I thought I should be getting in terms of volume and length and consist, I would go on the defensive. And uh, what I was doing, I, I mean, I can picture this in my head. Per- I wasn't looking at the faces of the audience. I was just speaking at them, not to them. And I was kind of looking at the back wall or a pillar in the room. And when I finally started looking at the faces of the, the crowd, I realized, oh, my gosh, just because they're not laughing out loud doesn't mean they're not having fun because I was seeing people who were really smiling and nodding and nudging each other and having a good time. They were just a quieter audience. Um, and trust me, you can tell the difference between a quiet audience that's having fun and a quiet audience that isn't just by looking at their uh, posture and their faces, of course, and, and things like that. So I learned not to get uh, defensive when the laughter wasn't uproarious. Um, now, it is a different feeling when you're not getting the uproarious laughter in a theater because, again, you can't, I, you can't see the faces. And so... Uh, comedians tend to be somewhat cynical, and so I'm uh, a lot of times if I'm not hearing huge laughs, I'm picturing people <laughs> frowning with their arms folded. <laughs> but I also have to remember, hey, hey, uh, you know, um, they may still be having a good time, so try not to get too def- <laughs> defensive. Because one thing I like to do is if a joke bombs, I like to address that it bombed. I like to either go, hey, you know what? Uh, you're right. That's not my strongest joke. I appreciate your honest feedback, that kind of thing. And that usually gets a laugh. And it also lets them know that I'm human and that I'm not going to let um, uh, some failure uh, affect the show. We're still going to have a good time. Uh, Or if a joke bombs and I don't think it should, if I really think that my delivery was dead on, that the joke normally does well, and uh, (laughs) I let them know, hey, you guys messed up. That joke was that's a that's a great joke. You should have laughed more. I'm going to forgive you now, but if it happens again, I, we're going to have we're going to have to talk about it. And audiences also kind of like that. They like that uh, <laughs> that bravado, um, whether it be false or not. Uh, in that instance, so it's it's um, that's all fun fun to play uh, around with. The audience is. Uh, a lot of comedians forget that um, it's not an adversarial position, performer versus audience. Everyone's in there together. The comedian wants to do well, and the audience wants the comedian to do well. And uh, that's something that I – those are mistakes that I made early on too is I went, oh, man, I got to go up and uh, I have to make these people laugh. And if they don't, well, then screw them. They didn't get it or whatever. <laughs> that's not – that's just not the case. Everyone wants uh, – Everyone wants to have a good time. Uh, Ryan uh, writes in, do you have a story of just destroying a heckler? I love when that happens. Yes, when uh, when somebody heckles and the comedian can go right back at him and just really let him have it. There's uh, crowds eat that up to a point. And uh, that's a very... Um, Audiences can be very fickle when it comes to destroying a heckler. So, a lot of heckles 
I've I've come to learn are usually fair. Uh, there are many different kinds of heckles. Most of them tend to be sort of positive, meaning uh, I'll say something, I'll tell a joke, and somebody will shout something out because they can relate so well, um, and they just want to help. They just want to add to uh, uh, the to the joke or the bit or whatever. Um, <laughs> you have to be careful because if you destroy that person, the audience will not care because they the audience can sense, hey, that guy, yes, he shouldn't have been yelling out, but he wasn't, he didn't mean any harm. He was just trying to, so uh, you don't want to attack somebody who has good intentions, even if, you know, they're misplaced. Now, it's rare. I, I, I've never really, I haven't seen this too much. Thankfully, it hasn't happened to me a lot, although it, it certainly happened, and it will happen again where you get the heckle of you suck or that's not funny or anything like that. <laughs> but what a bold, first off, <laughs> what a bold thing to do. You, uh, How often have you been at a place <laughs> where you didn't like what was going on and, and you verbalized it? You went, you yelled out, boo. <laughs> I think most people have enough manners and self-control to go, hey, you know what, we're not really liking this, but we'll just go ahead and grin and bear it and be quiet. But there's the, the, there are those people who just have to let you know they are not enjoying you. And uh, <laughs> that's that's an interesting person. I wonder if it's the same person who takes the time to write like a negative Yelp review or if those are different people. Like, um, uh, you know, it's it's the quiet person not enjoying themselves, who later goes and in, in the anonymity of the internet, they can uh, write all their negative, fight, you know, viewpoints down. But or if it is that same outspoken loudmouth uh, in the crowd, I don't. What what I do now is any heckler that I have, and again, most of them tend to be these positive hecklers. They wanna they want me to hear them. They want they're they're trying to make me laugh. They're trying to add to whatever joke it is. Particularly since I've been on the Bob and Tom show, that's what happens. People, people think um, that my act is open for conversation because they hear me every morning conversing uh, with my coworkers. So they don't really understand. Hey, you're meant to just sort of listen and enjoy, as opposed to I, I want to hear what you have to say about it. Um, so what I try to do now is uh, when somebody heckles me, I look at it as an opportunity, not an obstacle now. I, I look at it as, okay, uh, how can I spin this positively and use it to my advantage as opposed to, um, well, I have to shut this down immediately and no one's allowed to talk and uh, how dare you interrupt my sacred words, <laughs> that kind of thing. I now look at it as an opportunity and it's really served me well. To where I can either kind of go, um, what? 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 I'll I'll try to make some sort of joke about it, and then I'll try to engage that person a little bit to let to give them the attention that it is that they uh, so desperately need at that moment. But that's a tricky thing too because you want to give them enough attention to where they'll shut up. You don't want to give them too much attention to where now they go, oh, I'm a partner in this. I I have to speak up all the time. Um. And quite honestly, I'm just very frank with them. If that happens, I go, oh, I see. You thought that I, since uh, since I got laughs earlier by addressing your heckling, that it would happen again. You're not helping. You're not my partner. <laughs> that kind of, and that usually uh, gets laughs, and, and the person usually understands. And Okay. Um, the fallacy, the great heckler fallacy is, let's say I'm heckled. I spin it into laughter that the crowd loves. Maybe it gets the biggest laugh of the night because often it will. It's spontaneous. It's raw. Um, it shows that the performer is quick-witted and that kind of thing. Uh, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of skill that goes into um, re- responding to a heckler. Uh, and so actually, and sometimes just dumb luck. You just happen to say the right thing and it works. Now, what happens is that's a huge laugh the the heckler thinks well i helped i did that that because of me 
there was the audience had a, gr- a great time, and the comedian got a huge laugh because of what I did. That's not necessarily the case. You didn't help. You hindered. What I did was I did the work. I made it funny. <laughs> All you did was interrupt me. Um, it's sort of like uh, if I'm lifting weights and I'm bench pressing and you ran up and you threw 25 extra pounds on either side. If I still get that weight up, if I still am able to lift it, I'm doing the work. <laughs> you created more work for me just because I did it doesn't mean you helped. So uh, that said, I've had some really funny heckles, like heckles that genuinely make me laugh, that were uh, the person was funny, and what I do in that instance is I acknowledge it. Um, sometimes sarcastically I'll go uh, something like, you know, that's every comedian's dream is to have the audience be funny, funnier than they are. And that usually gets a nice laugh. And um, uh, Or I'll just go, you know what, dude? Or you know what, ma'am? Hilarious. That was well done. Uh, never do it again, but very funny. You know, that kind of, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> so the only story that comes to mind uh, right now of me destroying a heckler um, uh, is not a is not a good story. It's not a story I'm proud of, and um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it, it certainly it shows a side of me that I I think is gone, um, but it's an ugly side. I'm just going to warn you right now, and it didn't. It, this was not fun. This didn't happen in a fun way in front of a uh, an audience. <laughs> I'll just get to the story. I was uh, performing. I was very excited. I was featuring for Greg Warren in St. Louis. Both of us are St. Louis boys. Uh, we were very comfortable at the at the Funny Bone there. It's our our, our home club where we honed our act and uh, developed new material and and it was a sold out show. And uh, my gosh, it was going to go great. Um, so excited just to get up there and kill. And uh, during my act, there was a bachelorette party who uh, was very loud uh, almost immediately. And instead of looking at it as an opportunity, um, I looked at it as an obstacle that needed to be dealt with. And uh, I wasn't going to suffer fools gladly in this instance. (laughs) As soon as they started talking um, and respond and, and, Quite honestly, I think they were just sort of talking amongst themselves based on what I was saying. So I said something and they would go, oh, that's you or that's your boyfriend or whatever. I just like looked at them and I said, ladies, I'm shutting this down right now. You're going to shut up while I'm up here. And uh, that's it. And the audience hated it, of course, uh, because first off, they didn't they didn't know me. I had only been on stage for a few minutes. They didn't know my personality. They didn't know. So so now I'm I'm. Uh, and the bachelorette party, of course, hated it. They uh, were offended and uh, shocked. And now there are some who who might go, well, they needed to be put in their place. They had no right talking. Um, you got to remember, and this is something I, I, I did not remember at the time. This is their night. Was going to a comedy show a bad choice for the bachelorette party? Uh, quite possibly, because... They want the focus to be on them. The Bachelorette, it's her night. So, they're, of course, they're going to demand some attention. And they're they're uh, going to try to draw focus and, and uh, be the life of the party and be the focus of the party. And uh, I just didn't take that into consideration. That, yes, it may have been a mistake for them to be there. But that doesn't mean I needed to uh, be so rude to them what i should have done and what i would do now is go oh my gosh a bachelorette party ladies thank you for coming out uh and ask them some questions and get material from that i didn't need to uh uh be so defensive uh like that to them so we haven't even gotten to the not not uh to the ugly part yet <laughs> So I do the show. They complain the whole time. They're really, uh, they're sarcastically laughing. I'll say something like, ha, ha. 
and I'm just kind of uh, glaring at them and then, you know, going on with my act. And uh, occasionally one of them would say to a friend loud enough for me to hear, uh, this guy sucks, that kind of thing. <laughs> the audience is on edge because they're waiting for me to explode. To just, Since they already saw that I had a temper about it, they were waiting for me to throw the stool at them. By that, I mean the, uh, the, the stool on the stage, not some sort of monkey zoo thing. So they uh, were, w- the audience was on edge. I occasionally would just tell them to shut up again. And uh, oh, it, was just, it just wasn't fun for anybody. The real ugliness happened after the show. I do my time. Uh, Greg Warren goes up and uh, kills, uh, as he's known to do. And uh, he's also, uh, I should tell some of you who don't know, one of my best friends. So after the show, we are in the lobby of the comedy club selling our merch, our merchandise. He's got CDs and shirts. I've got shirts. And um, uh, we're meeting people. <laughs> And what happens is, as the crowd is filing out, they're they're shaking our hands and they're saying, "Hey!" And most people were very polite to me, even though I don't think they enjoyed my set because I turned it. I, I helped turn it into something real negative. Um, uh, they were, "Hey, sorry about those hecklers. You were funny." Um, or, "Hey, you know, you, you were good. Don't worry about it." I, which I appreciated, but looking back, it was mostly my fault. Uh, I, I'm at least going to take a, the majority of the responsibility there. So. What eventually happens is, <laughs> uh, by the way, as people are filing out of the lobby, there's a line forming for the next show in the lobby um, because that show was also sold out. So uh, a lot of people funneling out of the club, a lot of people funneling in and lining up, and they're all right in front of us. Well, eventually the bachelorette party makes its way out of the showroom and to the lobby. <laughs> And they walk up to us, and they're just showering Greg Warren uh, in adoration and compliments. They they loved it. And uh, I think uh, Greg uh, did what I should have done, which was he talked to them a little bit on stage, and he, he made some jokes with them, and he uh, let them be a, a part of the show a little bit and, and stuff like that. So they lo- <laughs> they loved him. And they're buying things from him and everything like that. The Bachelorette, at one point, uh, and there must have been eight girls, turned to me. And uh, she turns to me and she says, uh, you were terrible. You suck. Uh, you're all <laughs> just now. I mean, she's just bombarding me with insults. And I go, all right, all right. That kind of thing. I go, whatever. Uh, go ahead and leave. Go, go. <laughs> And uh, this one bridesmaid walks over and she goes, hey, look, I I want to apologize. We shouldn't have been loud. And uh, you were funny and um, we were a little out of hand. I'm sorry. It's it's her bachelor party. So we're excited and all this stuff. And uh, I go, "Okay, yeah, I appreciate that. (laughs) And uh, the bachelorette, meanwhile, is still going, don't apologize to him. He's he's a jerk. (laughs) And she's saying really profane things or whatever. And uh, all I'm really focused on is that, I'm at, at, at uh, her insulting me. And the bridesmaid's doing her best to sort of calm everybody down. And finally, the bachelorette says, uh, she's, she throws more hate my way, and then she says, uh, well, where are we going uh, now? And I go very loudly in front of... Uh, Everybody funneling out and uh, people lined up for the next show. I say, I don't know where you're going right now, but I hope your night ends with you wrapped around a telephone pole. (laughs) And (laughs) the bridesmaid who was trying to sort of compliment me, she goes, okay, you know what? You are a jerk. You're a terrible person. That's an awful thing to say. Greg Warren is howling. He can't stand it. He's laughing so hard. He he literally grabs me because some of the bridesmaids actually were started to make their way like it looked like they wanted to fight me. They wanted to physically they all of them were screaming at me. They were so mad. 
and Greg is laughing so hard, and he's also looking at me with astonishment, going, what is wrong with you? And, and he's actually, in his laughter, he's saying, you got to calm down. Why, why would you say something like that? You, what is what is going on? And he, he <laughs> so he's simultaneously howling with laughter and just uh, shocked and um, mortified that I would say something like this. And uh, meanwhile, the people funneling out are so bummed out that uh, that I'm not just like that on stage. I'm I'm a terrible person, is what they now think. And the <laughs> the people going in are looking at me, looking at me like, are we are we going to see you on stage? Are you? Do we have to sit through what I'm sure is a hateful, <laughs> mean spirited comedy act? Why would you? So. Uh, I did not, this, uh, Ryan, you wanted to know about a time I destroyed a heckler. In this case, I really destroyed myself by trying to destroy a heckler. And, uh, it is a low point in my, in my, my, my comedy career. <laughs> and Greg Warren will still, he still brings it up, um, you know, what, what, that was that had to have been seven years ago or something, and he's and he still laughs really hard, and um, I'm I'm embarrassed by it. I am, and uh, <laughs> uh, I apologize for showing you that that ugly side of me, but um, you know it's one of those things that I confess uh, because I I'm, tr- I'm also still trying to atone for it, so. Uh, uh, I hope that she didn't end up wrapped wrapped around a telephone pole. I hope they had a fine time at some dance clubs or whatever. And and uh, you know what? I bet they remember me though. I <laughs> I sure remember them. But I bet every now and again, hey, should we go to uh, should we go to the comedy club tonight? Man, remember that one guy who told us he wanted us? <laughs> I guarantee they they still talk about it. So hey, maybe maybe I gave them a story uh, for life. Who? Who's to say? Uh, Jason says, have you ever, uh, have you had your share of strangers in public who feel like they're more familiar with you than they actually are? How do you handle that? How do you handle those who cross the line? Uh, That does happen a lot, particularly because of uh, the Bob and Tom show. Um, You know, uh, what happens is Tom will make fat jokes or jokes about me being a, uh, a chronic masturbator or something like that. And um, uh, I, what I do is um, try to go along. I, I mean, I'll I'll argue or go along or I'll defend myself, but I go along with it. You know, I let it happen. And, and it's all for comedic effect. And um, so what happens is audiences think they can come with me and go, hey, fat ass, how come you're not at home playing with yourself? <laughs> It's it's a weird thing. It's I never mind when people come up and uh, talk to me, or you know I, I don't mind it at all. And uh, but that's a weird thing where I have to go. Jeez. Oh, um, and so normally what I'll do is say something like, "Oh, you're a Tom fan, huh?" Or uh, um, you know that kind. Of, I just got to try to understand that they're they're not being. Um, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt that they're not being mean. They're trying to be in on the act. And uh, so I <laughs> now there are people who get f- a little physically too familiar. And usually that has to do with alcohol. Um, they, they come up and, you know, throw their arms around me and they slap me on the back too hard or uh, whatever. Um, and that's just one of those things where you kind of go, oh, hey, I, you know, there are ways to uh, diffuse that sort of awkwardness and. I think I tend to um, uh, just go. Oh, excuse me for a second. I'll wa- I'll walk over and take a sip out of my water or my my beer or whatever, and then walk. So I'll get out of their clutches and then walk back over uh, and stay like three feet away. So uh, again, nobody's trying to harm me or anything. I don't think they're just uh, being overly friendly. And uh, um, yeah, it, it's always nice to meet people who like you and who enjoy what you do. And uh, so I don't let it, uh, it so it, it really doesn't bother me. There, I just try to spin out of some of the uh, those awkward situations. Also, Jason was the guy who a few weeks ago 
suggested that we start uh, the thing that we work on for the week is putting our shopping carts back in the corrals. I forgot who it was. Thank you, Jason, for uh, for that excellent suggestion a, a few weeks ago. And finally, uh, this week, Timmy. Um, well, he signs up. He signs the email Tim, but the email address is Timmy. <laughs> so <laughs> I like Timmy. If I think I think if I were a Timothy, I'd go by Timmy. Can you run through your entire workday from when you wake up to when you get back home? Sure, it's not all that uh, exciting. Some days vary, but I tend to get up around 5 uh, a.m. Eastern time. And I uh, the first thing I do is uh, move my body in some way. Um, I'll do uh, a few jumping jacks. I'll do... Um, uh, sometimes I'll just shake out my limbs. I'll stretch just for a couple minutes. Uh, and I'll also slam some water. I always keep water on my nightstand and I'll just, I'll just, uh, drink whatever water I have there. If it's a big cup or a, a bottle. Um, and then I get in the shower and I, uh, you know, do, I, I, I cleanse my body with soap <laughs> No, I'm not, I'm not obviously not going to go into all that, but I take a shower, I get in the car and uh, head into work and I roll in um, about, I'd say on average, five minutes before we hit the air. I like, and I'm, I'm the same way with stand-up comedy, uh, I like to, uh, I don't like to get to a club or get here to the studio and sit for a little bit and then go on. I, I pretty much like to walk in and hit the mic. Because I don't, I, I just don't want to think about it. I just want to be in the moment the whole time. Uh, I particularly don't want to see an audience before I go up at a comedy club because I incorrectly prejudge them. I'll, if I see some old people walk in, I go, "Oh, they're not going to like a couple of the dirty jokes," and now I feel bad for telling them. Or if I, you know, I, I and I'm always wrong. Usually, I'll look out and the old people are howling at the dirty stuff way more than they are the clean stuff. So. Um, I, I just don't like to see the audience before I get out there. I like everything to be kind of spontaneous. Um, I don't do any prep for the show. I don't know what the news stories are going to be. I don't know what the – oftentimes I don't know what the sports scores are, anything like that, uh, I for a couple reasons. I, wanna, I want everything to be spontaneous. But also, if I knew a lot of what was coming up, I would zone out. Uh, this, this way, I'm forced to pay attention the whole time. It's also why I don't have a computer in front of me. I would uh, look at things. So um, uh, while it might be fun to throw in songs and sound effects uh, every now and again, I'll leave that to – I'll let Chick and Tom handle that. I don't need to. I, I would rather just stay stay focused. So I do the show uh, from 6 to 10.05 uh, Eastern time, and then it varies. Sometimes I go right home and I do nothing. I'll uh, <laughs> watch TV and read uh, and cook, and eat, and uh, go to bed. Uh, so that's um, other days. I stay at the uh, the, the studio a little bit and um, do some writing or uh, read uh, further up on some stories we may have done. Um, uh, just hang out, talk with uh, some some folks that I work with, and uh, whatever. Uh, so it does it does very. I never nap during the day. Uh, rarely, I mean, I shouldn't say never. I rarely nap during the day because if I, na- I'm not a good napper. I can't nap for 20 minutes. If I lay down to nap, it's at least two hours. So I don't like uh, eliminating that chunk of time for my day. And I also um, don't like how then that night I won't go to bed until 11 and I'm tired the next day and then I nap again and it's just a vicious cycle. So I, I just, I, I try not to nap. I typically uh, go to bed around, I like to be in bed by 8 p.m. and uh, do some uh, reading uh, until around 9. And then I shut the lights off and go to sleep. Occasionally I'll watch TV. I'm trying, in my room, I'm trying not to do that as much. I'm. Uh, it's just, that's not good for me. Uh, they say it's not good for, for anybody to look at a screen uh, before right before you go to bed. Um, I just know it's not good for me, so I try not to. To do that, but otherwise, yeah, I throughout the week I try to read a couple books and I try to listen to some music while I'm working on a project at home, and I try to write and um, I try to watch 
three or four movies I've never seen uh, before in a week. So that's uh, kind of what happens. Um, all right. All good questions. Thank you all so much for sending them in. Uh, what I would like to uh, work on this week, and uh, I think all of us uh, should uh, work on, uh, well, I'll tell you after the work on this week theme song. <laughs> there it is. That was clunky, and it was totally my fault. I did not set up this segment well. But what we should work on this week, maybe we've made resolutions, maybe we haven't. Either way, I would like for all of us, if uh, a resolution is broken, um, if you have told yourself you're going to do something and you don't do it, or uh, anything like that, forgive yourself and try again. That's all you've got to do. I think we get in the habit with resolutions of uh, once it's broken, it's broken for good. No. Let's say you want to eat better this year. And then one night you have a pizza and um, a piece of cake. That doesn't mean your resolution's broken. The next day, just go back to eating better. Forgive yourself and try again. It's something I have a lot of trouble with. Uh, I let things spiral out of control. If I uh, am trying to eat better and then I have a bad meal, I go, well, this day's shot. And then uh, I eat bad the, the, the rest of the day. And then I go, well, this week's shot. And I eat bad the whole week and until I'm, uh, you know, a year into uh, all of a sudden I'm way uh, unhealthier than I wanted to be. So um, forgive yourself and try again. Uh, don't be so hard on yourself. Just go, okay, you know what? That wasn't a great choice, well, no matter what it is. And go, you know, I'll make better choices uh, tomorrow. And uh, and do them. So that's what we should all work on this week. Letting ourselves off the hook a little bit, especially with these resolutions. And uh, giving them another shot, all right? Forgive, forget, and don't give up. And with that, thank you for being my guest this week. And I will see you all next week.